to the Unpacked Project. We're your hosts. I'm Noelle. And I'm Miranda. We're here to explore all things social justice. It's through casual conversations, interviews, and storytelling that we hope to inspire others to take action towards a more compassionate and equitable world. Because honestly, it kind of sucks here sometimes. (laughs) For real. We can do better, people. All right. Let's start unpacking. Hey everyone. So today we're breaking down bias, the different types, how it begins and how we can break it. It's definitely a big topic to cover, but we thought it was important for it to be our second episode because it's really going to be the base of understanding for a lot of future topics that we do talk about on our later episodes. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's, it's a lot to explore, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And bias in general, it can be a pretty hefty topic to consume. But our hope is that we can create a space for learning or building upon what you already know. And then we're going to share some actionable steps you can take to really change, to create change, because that's what it's all about. And that's why we're here. So let's just talk about what we already know. You know, like you said, Miranda, there's always more to learn. It's, you know, a lot that we're going to be talking about and consuming today. But let's just look at some of the things we know from research, because this has been studied. So we know that kids as young as one identify race. It's crazy. They have this perception. They perceive this. And at a young age, children prefer other children like them and discriminate against children unlike them. So we have this sort of formation, even at a very young age, of in-groups and out-groups. And children tend to indicate a strong and consistent pro-white bias as early as pre-K. It's crazy to me. So black students, we also know that black students in the U.S. are subject to disciplinary action at rates much higher than white students. And the responses also tend to be more severe. Mm-hmm. Also, that minorities receive lower quality health care than white people, even when insurance status, income, age, and the severity of the conditions are comparable. Now, let's talk about worldwide. So about half of the world's men and women, so this is like kind of blew my mind, right? Mm-hmm. Feel that men make better political leaders. <laughs> We're screwed. <laughs> I'm like, we're screwed, everybody. On, women, what? <laughs> and over 40% feel that men make better business executives mm-hmm. and that men have more of a right to a job when jobs are scarce. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could see my face right now. My jaw just <laughs> dropped. <laughs> um, you know, and like we said, we know this, this from research, right? These are things that have been studied. There's a lot of research on bias and just looking um, at sort of, you know, these thought processes that people have that sometimes are hard to explain, right? Like we're like, sometimes mm-hmm. they don't even match what our values are in some of these cases. Yeah. Um, but aside from the research, you know, I think we have our own personal experiences too, you know, especially when I think um, about this topic, I have so many stories that come to mind. Um, you know, probably from being married to someone who is not white. You know, we we talked in the last episode about that need to, you know, cross racial lines and Mm -hmm. um, cross ethnic lines in order to gain some other perspective sometimes. And I think of, you know, stories and sharing this with my husband's permission. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my husband is Dominican. And, you know, I can think of stories that he has shared with me where he's been told, you know, you speak so well, I forget that you're Spanish. Oh my God. <laughs> or, you know, when we moved into our home um, in a predominantly white neighborhood, um, 
he he was home and somebody came to like sell windows or something and he opened the door and the person um, said to him can I speak to the owner of the home <laughs> this is like this automatic assumption right right that he must not be the person that owns this home and those are just a couple like I can mm-hmm. sit here and, and share many stories of things that have happened those are the most recent like those were not a long time ago you know these are within the past couple of years that that's this has happened so i just think you know when we think about the research on this when we think about personal experiences and stories i'm sure you all have out there Mm -hmm. it's a really important topic that we want to dive into today and just learn more about yeah and when i hear all this and the the stats the facts your stories it just makes me think why (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and I know that I have my own bias as well, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. important to recognize I'm no better than anybody else because we all Mm -hmm. have a bias. Um, You know, but people are inclined to want to say that they're colorblind. I have a handful of friends that have done that or that they don't stereotype. And honestly, that's not really helpful either. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to make so much more progress as individuals and as a society if we just accept that this is a human truth. We need to explore this and confront our bias. So let me be clear again. Mm-hmm. We're not bad people for having bias because we all do. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think, you know, we're the Unpack Project, right? We're here to unpack. So let's start doing this a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like you said, um, you know, the topic of bias, we could probably sit here for hours and talk, but I think a good place to start and kind of explore a little bit is just from the scientific perspective of how we've studied bias. And there's really been a lot of research on it from lots of different perspectives. Um, you know, evolutionary psychologists really speak about bias in more of an adaptive sense. So our brain has developed these sort of shortcuts mm-hmm. um, that you would say for like situations um, that we've historically had to deal with, right? So threat avoidance, mating, social exchange, things like that. So our brain has developed these ways to make sure we're safe or pick ideal mates or, um, you know, just from an evolutionary perspective that it automatically does this. Um, but the neuroscience of bias is really, I think, probably the most interesting for me um, that I've most recently read about and looked into. There's been a lot of research in topics like facial recognition. Mm. So, you know, we know that shortly after birth, babies prefer to look at a human face over anything else. Um, And within their first year of life, they're able to start discerning more and are more likely to actually crawl towards friendly faces. So they're already picking up on these nuances and lots of different parts of our brain are working together just for the one thing of facial recognition. We know they're starting to show these preferences. We also know that people are much better at recognizing faces of their own race Mm -hmm. rather than faces of other races. And this is something that occurs in all racial groups in the United States and in countries all over the world. Um, So, you know, our brain starts to build a preference for these faces that we see every day. And then beyond that, our brain wants to categorize, right? Like there's all this information coming in we have to sort it, we have to make sense of it. And so it's really an efficiency for our brain. You know, it's again, also being adaptive to be able to manage this information overload, constantly Mm -hmm. receiving information from our environment. How do we make sense of this? So if we think of just those sort of neuropsychological, evolutionary psychological, um, you know, perspectives, Mm -hmm. and we 
have this primitive survival part of our brain. And, and we know that that exists, right? You'll hear people sometimes say that the caveman part of your brain, yep. that literally exists, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the way in the back, like from back <laughs> when we needed it, like yeah. it's still there. Um, and, you know, we think about how faces of our own race are more familiar to us and we're categorizing mm-hmm. everything around us. And then when we take that and we combine it with the reality of our personal experiences, mm-hmm. we combine it with cultural upbringing we add on racial profiling, we add on rigid, rigid gender roles, we add on social messaging. And what happens, right? We start not being able to accept certain people, or we can't understand people who we perceive as so-called different from us. Mm-hmm. And we start favoring people who look like us, and we lose sensitivity for people who don't. Mm. And so we begin to start having these subconscious beliefs right? That really have been prescribed where we have these automatic thoughts that maybe certain people belong in certain places and do certain things because from an adaptive sense and a social sort of ecological sense, those two have combined to create sort of this breeding ground for this bias that we have. Mm. And then that was a lot. So thank you. (laughs) Right. And then on top of all that, these social categories that we create are tied to feelings and beliefs that Mm -hmm. people begin to direct that beliefs that begin to direct our actions. Mm -hmm. Our experiences live in our brain, right? Over time, they reshape and dictate how we think both consciously and subconsciously. And our brains just love a mental shortcut. Like you said, easy thinking is an evolutionary trap. Mm -hmm. Just seeing something can bring up feelings and thoughts associated with an entire category. And the stronger those associations, the faster those thoughts and feelings come to mind. It's because of this that we need to work to recognize that bias, both implicit and explicit. It's everywhere within all of us. Yeah, I mean, like you said before, you know, we all have bias. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think in our first episode, you know, we said that and we're going to keep repeating it <laughs> yeah. because, you know, we, we really all do. And eventually, you know, it gets to the point where we want to start being able to recognize these mm-hmm. so we can be aware and we can change what, how we're behaving. Um, but let's talk a little bit. You mentioned explicit and implicit. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between them. You know, in the case of explicit or conscious bias, the person is very clear about his or her feelings and attitudes. And then the related behaviors that, that they're conducting are with intent. Mm-hmm. It's a very intentional process. Yeah. So in its extreme, when we think about um, explicit bias, it's really characterized by this overt negative behavior where we're looking at physical harassment, verbal harassment, mm-hmm. discrimination, um, or even through more subtle means such as exclusion, mm-hmm. right? So when we think about um, the act of purposefully leaving certain people out, that's still explicitly bias. Mm -hmm. Implicit or unconscious bias, which is really mostly what we're going to talk about today, operates completely outside of people's awareness. And interestingly, what I find (laughs) at least to be most interestingly about this topic is that it can be in direct contradiction to a person's beliefs and values. And that's oftentimes what you'll hear when we start talking about bias. That's why it's so difficult to confront it Mm -hmm. because a lot of times it's completely against what you hold to be a value of yours. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's so dangerous about implicit bias is that this is automatically seeping into someone's affect or behavior. And it's 
really outside of the awareness of that person, right? So if I'm not even aware I'm acting on these biases and my behavior is essentially being controlled by them in this Mm -hmm. way that I'm not even realizing, then the impacts can be damaging, right? Um, So we generally, when we think about these implicit biases that we have, are favoring our in-group, typically when we look at them. And not only in terms of actions that we're engaging in, but when we think of our perceptions, bias can affect even just how we're perceiving reality, who Mm. we want to pay attention to, what we want to pay attention to, how we react to people, how much we're willing to comfort people in certain situations. Mm. So it can, under the surface, without even our awareness, be affecting that. The good news and what we'll get into, you know, is that our brains can change. So we used to have this concept in neuroscience and people, um, you know, in in old research that we're like hardwired. Yeah. Our brains are hardwired. We can't change. Yeah. Um, But we know from from neuroscience now that our brains are malleable. Mm -hmm. And with work, many of these in the case of bias, um, obviously in lots of areas, but specifically we're going to be talking about more a bias today, yeah. these biases can be unlearned. Yeah. And let me tell you, <laughs> listening to all that, I'm just so happy to hear there's good news. Right. There <laughs> is always right. When we start to break it down, the idea of doing this work can seem overwhelming at first, mm-hmm. but really there's some fairly easy things we can do to check ourselves. And with that said, let's dive into the, some of the different types of implicit bias. Earlier, we touched on what we know about the implications of bias, and you mentioned in-groups and out-groups, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, which is a great example of similarity bias or like-me bias. It has a couple different names. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually going to lead you through, our listeners, lead you all through an activity um, that will help you better understand this type of bias. Now, if you're listening and you're driving right now or you're somewhere where you can't participate, participate please, please do come back and listen to this later on. You can do it with friends, with family. Um, You can even do it with your kids at home. It's important to start having these conversations and really just start recognizing um, ways that you can grow. So first, you're going to need a blank sheet of paper. On your paper, on the left-hand side, I want you to write the names or initials of six to ten people that you trust the most who are not immediate family members. Well, family members in general. I'm going to read out some diversity dimensions, and I want you to place a check mark beside the names that are similar to you within that dimension. So an example, I'm a woman, so I would place a check mark beside all women on my list. Someone that speaks Spanish as their native language would place a check mark beside all individuals on their list that also speak Spanish as their first language. Make sense, Noel? Makes sense. Got it. All right. So now that you've got your six to ten names or initials down the left-hand side of your paper, here go the dimensions. Check mark next to someone that's the same gender as you. Same nationality as you. Speaks the same native language as you. Shares the same religious beliefs as you. Is roughly, I'd say, within one to two years of the same age as you. Shares the same professional background as you. And lastly, the same physical ability as you. Okay. So if you had the opportunity to do that and actually write it down, or Mm -hmm. if you're driving and you even were just thinking about Mm -hmm. it kind of as, you know, as you're going through um, your drive or whatever you're doing, you might start realizing that, okay, a lot of check marks are going down (laughs) next to the names of these people. 
And again, you wouldn't be so off base for that, right? Mm -hmm. We know that's really the crux of similarity bias. You know, for most participants, when we do this, we find that their list includes people with backgrounds similar to their own. And and that's for lots of different reasons, right? We know neurologically we're inclined to do this. Mm -hmm. We know um, kind of socially and experientially in our life, we are in situations where we might be around people more like us in, in um, certain situations when we're developing friendships or we're in school, um, you know, we're at work, particularly for, I think, um, you know, majority groups. Like when we were talking on the first episode, um, you know, for white people when sort of underestimating how they're always represented where they mm-hmm. are, um, you know, so that's your, again, it's not uncommon for this to be the case. Yeah. We're inclined to surround ourselves and connect with other people that are most like us. And then we tend to disproportionately favor people yeah. that are similar to us. And that's where the issue lies. Right. Right. So that part, disproportionately favoring people, it really hit home for me, right? As a mm-hmm. manager, someone who hires people, it really caused me to look at the ways in which this may affect my team. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. right, if I'm more inclined to automatically connect with and favor people similar to me, then this can create a lack of diversity in hiring. Mm-hmm. So I think about, you know, within my company, the folks that hold positions, presidents, CEOs, mm-hmm. general managers, things like that, predominantly male, predom- predominantly the higher you go, white, right? right? And so if we don't have diversity in admin positions or folks that are higher up in companies, it can and does continue to perpetuate this cycle, right? And really, it's just limiting. If we're always around people like us, how often do we get introduced to new perspectives and differing views, right? In what ways are we being challenged to grow if we're not around people that, you know, present different experiences? Yeah, because I mean, that's a big, um, you know, part, like, again, we spoke about this on the first episode, you know, really trying to have those experiences that we might not even realize, Yeah. you know, because we're sort of insulated and people like me, right? This Mm -hmm. whole like me bias. (laughs) It's like anything else. If I only eat one type of food and I never venture mm-hmm. out to any other different types of food, I never realize that there might be other food that I actually like. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, Simple. it's the same, yeah. the same concept, right? <laughs> like, I mean, at a basic level, it kind of works the same way. Yeah. You've got to, you know, be willing to kind of take those risks and, and in speaking honestly about it, you know, I mean, there, that's the reality. If you haven't, maybe been around people of other races, if you grew up in, you know, group communities where it was mostly just your race or your ethnicity mm-hmm. or people that were mostly from your background, mm-hmm. it can feel uncomfortable to do that sometimes because it's, it, you know, might not feel natural for you to do that. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to be able to, like you said, grow in mm-hmm. that way, you know, mm-hmm. and be able to have these, these other perspectives um, where we're able to learn from other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on top of this idea of similarity bias, which involves the people around us, there's also confirmation bias, which is really about the information around mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And really at the core of this, you know, people are prone to believe what they want to believe. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> and when people would like a certain idea or a concept to be, tr- to be true, they end up believing it to be true Mm -hmm. and they're motivated by this wishful thinking Mm -hmm. and you know these errors that can happen really lead the person to stop gathering information when the evidence gathered confirms their view 
or their prejudice. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, so I think this way, I seek out the information that confirms that. As soon as it confirms it, I stop and I don't need to look at any other perspective or, or keep gathering any more information because mm -hmm. I've proved myself to be true. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. That's good old confirmation bias. Yeah. I swear, humans just like to be right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So once we've formed a view, we'll take any and all information that further confirms that view, just like you said, while ignoring mm -hmm. or rejecting any information that challenges said view. <laughs> and, and the really interesting thing is, even when we read or hear the same story, I was amazed at this, right? And mm -hmm. so after, so when reading or listening to the same story, our bias tends to shape the way that we perceive the details, mm -hmm. further confirming our beliefs. I mean, even listening to the same story, that's, that is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. So this is actually a reason why eyewitness testimony can't be used in court uh, because our bias towards specific groups of people, because of our bias towards specific groups of people, uh, our testimony sways for or against them rather than being factual. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and, and another part of that is that, you know, we sort of distort facts to make them fit what we believe Our beliefs yeah, yeah you know and so really again when we think about it again it's adaptive right our, mm -hmm. our brain is always wanting to be comfortable yeah. we're always wanting to to have the shortcut and we know what we know about confirmation bias is that the effect of it is stronger for emotionally charged issues you know for these issues where people are really emotionally invested mm -hmm. in them super charged up about it and for these deeply entrenched beliefs and even though a certain stereotype about a social group might not be true for an individual, mm -hmm. we tend to remember, we have almost this like memory bias where we tend to remember the stereotype consistent information better than any disconfirming evidence. So I could have one situation that I encounter that confirms the stereotype belief I have. And I remember that better than the 10 <laughs> disconfirming situations oh. that happen. And, you know, so again, this idea in psychology, we have this theory called cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. And it's really this idea of this mental conflict mm -hmm. that occurs when someone holds two contradictory beliefs and it can actually cause psychological distress, like unease mm. in a person to have these two conflicting beliefs and exposure to disconfirming information actually results in negative emotions. Something that is non-existent when we're seeking reinforcing evidence. So I have this belief, I seek information and I find information that confirms it. It's reinforcing to me. It feels good to my brain. Yeah. Right? Like that's ideal. Okay, perfect. Um, but then we have yeah. this belief. There's something that disconfirms that. I reject that because this feels uncomfortable. This is challenging. I've believed this for 30 years. How could this be? Yeah. I can't shift from this. It's too much. Mm -hmm. And my brain will conveniently forget this mm -hmm. much quicker <laughs> right. than one thing that confirms it. Yeah. You know, so to minimize the dissonance, people really adapt to confirmation bias mm -hmm. and they're avoiding this contradictory information. They're seeking the confirming information and it just becomes the cycle. Mm -hmm. Honestly, our brains, they just have a really interesting way of processing to make sense of things. Yeah. <laughs> so some food for thought for everyone is the surgeon's dilemma riddle. Uh, we actually posted this as an activity on our social media pages. For anyone listening that participated, a big shout out to you. Uh, mm -hmm. We definitely needed those answers. So thank you. <laughs> 
It was much appreciated. So I actually heard this growing up as a riddle. Um, so I already knew the answer, but some of the responses we got, well, again, it's just <laughs> fascinating how the mind reasons and tries to make sense of things. So let's see if you can figure it out. A father and son were involved in a car accident in which the father was killed and the son was seriously injured. The father was pronounced dead at the scene of the accident and his body was taken to a local morgue. The son was taken by ambulance to a nearby hospital and was immediately wheeled into an operating room. The surgeon was called in and upon entering and seeing the patient, the surgeon gasped, it's my son. Can you explain this and how could this be? So we got <laughs> answers like he was adopted at birth, so it's the boy's real father. Uh, the father that died was a priest, so he's just called a father, but the surgeon <laughs> was his actual father. Uh, some, a couple people said the boy had two dads, even the, the boy was kidnapped. I don't, I don't know how that makes sense, but you know, the mind made sense of it. Uh, what, I want, what was your answer, Noel? I said stepfather. <laughs> I said stepfather. I know. I was a little disappointed in you, Noel. I know. Oh man. So look, roughly 40% of participates in the actual scientific study and a whopping 65 or 20 out of 31 people in our just for fun study <laughs> didn't think of the most reasonable answer that the surgeon is the boy's mother a woman folks a woman right women can be surgeons <laughs> right oh what? and when i when i saw it i was so disappointed in myself. <laughs> God, I, like, how are you doing this podcast, Noel? And you didn't, I, that, right? <laughs> but you know what? It's a good lesson, right? It we is. It have, is. We all have these things, and and this particular riddle is an example of representativeness bias. So we estimate the likelihood of something by comparing it to this like existing prototype that already exists in our minds. Again, going back to the categorizing, right? That our brains do. Yeah. Um, and so our prototype of what we can think is the most relevant or typical example of a particular event or object or something that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that this really impacts our ability to critically think, mm -hmm. which is clearly mm -hmm. apparent from the challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when people are making a, you know, trying to pull anything to get to the surgeon has to be a man, yeah. right? Like what scenarios can I concoct in this situation for this surgeon to just be a man, which, you know, and the father fit right into the role of surgeon, even though it's like seemingly impossible. I mean, we had to make him get kidnapped. He, you know, all these crazy things. We have such a hard time considering that the woman could be the surgeon. And I mean, okay, again, statistically speaking, like we know this is unlikely. Okay. We know like when we look at surgeons, like, yeah. I don't know. I, it's a very small number yeah. um, of them that, that are women, which is a whole other topic we're going to get yeah. into in our future podcast episodes. Um, but it's really about the ability to critically examine information, yeah. right? When you go back now that you know the answer is mother and you read that story, obviously, it's like obvious, <laughs> yeah. you know? And if the critically being able to take these details and have it maybe you know, point to some other possible explanation mm -hmm. that defies what we typically hold to be true. Yeah. That's really, you know, again, the bias. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That our well, brain automatically just goes there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and lucky for us, like we've been saying, uh, bias can be changed over time. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. so, you know, women can be surgeons. Um, <laughs> in a recent uh, 2019 study, 
data revealed how certain implicit attitudes in American society have changed from 2007 to 2016. Attitudes about sexual orientation changed the fastest, with anti-gay bias decreasing by about 33% over that 10-year period that I shared. Mm-hmm. And it predicts the consist- a consistent decrease over time, meaning the anti-gay bias could reach complete neutrality or zero bias sometime between 2025 and 2045, oh, which is huge, yes, yes. you know, right? Like coming <laughs> from a place like the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. that, that was normal to me. And, right. and moving to Florida, um, you know, it is on trend, it's normal, more normalized now, at least in larger cities, but I'm, ha- I'm so happy to hear that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then our implicit attitudes towards race and skin tone are also moving towards neutrality. Uh, progress that, while not nearly as rapid as anti-gay bias, is still noteworthy. And then there's some groups that the data doesn't show progress for. There's still negativity towards the elderly, folks with disability. In fact, change in attitudes have been so slow for both of those groups that forecasts suggest it could take well over 150 years for either bias to reach neutrality. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about really having experiences with people unlike you or mm-hmm. different than you. And that right there is proof as to why. And then there's implicit weight bias, which has actually increased by 40% between 2004 and 2010. So again, you know, these ideas that we have in our mind, whether we're aware of them or not, it's important to expose yourself to people that are different than you. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we think about that research, there's lots of you know, hypotheses of why anti-gay bias, mm-hmm. um, you know, is decreasing and, um, you know, why we're seeing that the, the um, anti-racism bias decreasing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously we've had a lot of activism in those yeah. areas. I think it's, you know, a little more prevalent that we're having these conversations and we're, yeah. we're talking about it. Um, you know, we think about things like pride and celebrations and, um, you know, different, uh, racial events that have really, you know, unfortunately, right, some of the the events that we've had that have sparked conversation in the news. Um, But, you know, like you said, the fact remains that there's a lot of of attitudes that we still need to continue working on and still Mm -hmm. need to be addressed. And the progress doesn't happen on its own. Mm -hmm. So we have people out there, you were talking before about the managers, people in, you know, positions of power within companies, researchers, educators, policymakers. Okay. And then, and citizens, right? So all different levels of society, um, Mm -hmm. we all have to own this. And, you know, we need to engage in really deliberate thought and consciously enacted policies that will motivate behavior and attitude change in the direction that we want as a society. You know, humanistic, equity. um, I know in this podcast, that's that's what we stand for and what you're going to hear us talk about a lot. And, you know, that's really the direction that we need to go. And there's ways, you know, that it can be done. Fighting confirmation bias Mm -hmm. is one that isn't, you can do every day in your own life right? Really quickly. Um, the take home lesson is just really to set your hypothesis, set what your thought is and look for instances to prove yourself wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, that's like the true test of self-confidence, like being able to look at the world without this need to consistently please your ego. Mm -hmm. And like you said, this needs to be right. You know, that the world is evolving. The world is changing things, how they were 30 years ago, might and aren't yeah how they are now right like we hope as humans we do get better Mm -hmm. 
And so we need to start taking some of those really ingrained beliefs that we have or these issues that emotionally charge us and start asking ourselves, like, one, why? Mm-hmm. And two, like, how can I explore this and maybe find some, some other information um, to kind of disprove it? Mm-hmm. And be critical of the information that, that you're <laughs> – you know, that you're hearing. Like, I'm not saying prove your bias, your idea is wrong by just finding anything and could, you know, saying it's true, but really truly being critical of the information that's out there in the media, things that we see and hear, you know, the term is media literacy, but really like having that critical thinking lens when you're, when you're consuming all this information. I, you know, we've talked about having this intergroup contact, you know, really trying to make efforts of thinking about, what are the spaces that you occupy, you know, or are we trying to, do we find diversity to be, to diversity to be important? Like, I think for me, like that was something that was always important. Like I wanted diversity in my friendships, you know, I wanted to have that as a part of my life. Um, You know, and so if you haven't, like, what are some ways that, that you can, you know, conversations, something that, something that maybe you wouldn't have done before, you know, taking an opportunity to just kind of cross a racial line or cross an ethnic line and have have a connection with someone. Maybe there's a neighbor in your neighborhood mm-hmm. that you have never spoken to before, you know, or something like that. Just trying to increase some of those connections. And then, you know, just really learning to challenge and counter some of these common stereotypes mm-hmm. that, that we hear, um, you know, and then working working to replace the negative stereotypes. Yep. They're really trying to, instead of having our brains remember this one confirming piece over these all other disconfirming pieces, you know, really look to remember these situations or experiences that you have that disconfirm Mm -hmm. these negative stereotypes that are pervasive in our society. Yeah. I mean, really, it's it's critical thinking skills, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or I think about any type of, you know, time in your life where you've tried to grow, you know, you have to focus on whatever it is that you're trying to change and mm-hmm. and then be, you become more mindful of it and then you can take a step back and be like wait right and you take right. a bird's eye view right you're on the outside looking in okay so what's right about this what's wrong about this how can i change mm-hmm. my thought process mm-hmm. um so lastly and most importantly for today please like we've said start becoming aware of your biases the data that i shared earlier uh it's actually from a harvard study that looked at 4.4 million IATs or implicit association tests you can actually take them on the Project Implicit site at implicit.harvard.edu. It's free, and they cover a range of bias categories like religion, race, how we connect gender to specific careers, mm-hmm. sexuality, skin tone, uh, weight, and a bunch of other ones as well. We would love to hear about your journey and what you've learned. So please listen out for our social pages after the episode wrap up. Yes, I can't wait. Just like when we did the the um, surgeon one, yeah, you know, I mean, we were on there like looking up, waiting yeah. for these. What are answers. people saying? Yes. So if you take any of the the IETs, please send us um, yeah. what your results are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just will be super interesting to hear, and we can talk about that on another episode. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, next week, we're going to be exploring systemic racism, mm-hmm. its roots, and our long road to recovery and really learning that all systems are in fact not a go not okay we though. really need to be, <laughs> we we need to dive deep into this unpack again just like we did with bias um just kind of all these different systems that 
are really perpetuating um, oppression and, and inequity in our country. All right. And that's it. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. The Unpacked Project is produced by Vicki Lee, branding and marketing by Raquel Avalos. Show us some love and be sure to like, subscribe, and review our podcast. And to stay connected and up to date, follow us on Instagram at the underscore Unpacked Project. Shout out to all of our listeners who unpacked with us today. We'll see you next week. Peace. Hey, bye. <laughs>